Meet Reed Lance Rosenthal, rancher, number one best-selling, award-winning author, and unabashedly, unapologetically on the right side of the outstanding issues of our generation. But don't try to fence him in. Sometimes his positions will surprise you because Reed is definitely his own man with his own opinions. You might love him, you might hate him, but you won't be able to stop listening. Step over to the right side with Reed. Howdy listeners from coast to coast, the Gulf to Canada and around the globe. This is Reed Lance Rosenthal on the Right Side Radio. And before I get started, I want to thank the millions of you who listen to me every week. And I want to welcome either back to the On the Right Side affiliate network or brand new to the Right Side affiliate network, Houston, KNTH, Salt Lake City, KJJC, Oklahoma City, KTLR, Sarasota and Tampa, WWPR, howdy Florida, Knoxville, Tennessee, WETR, thanks so much. Great to be on your stations and great to be talking to you. Now let's get started. Piles going on around the globe and particularly here in the good old USA and we're going to go over some of that. First of all, I'm going to give you the history of pension funds. And by the way, even if you have a 401k and you're not a pensioner, you need to listen up because kind of the macro things that are affecting pensions will be affecting you. I flat guarantee it. And you need to have, you need to understand the pension stuff and the whole retirement thing, 401ks, etc., etc., because it is tens of trillions of dollars. It is both a liability and an asset, and it is a target for a cash-starved, broke government. You'll find that the pension funds in the United States are not, shall we say, real seaworthy for the most part. And you'll find out that there's already provisions for taxpayers to bail them out, particularly if they're unions, you know, that give big donations to Democratic politicians and the current resident of the White House, at least in name only. And of course, we'll have the rest of the story, which you won't like at all. We're going to go over the increasing, (laughs) if that's possible, the increasing discovery of bribery and corruption and treason by the Bidens. And that includes Uncle Joe, you know, the cadaver who pretends he's president in the White House, while Obama and Soros pull his strings, along with others, and his Son Hunter, and we're going to discuss just a little bit about the ever-increasing public display of corruption at the Department of Justice with the slap on the wrist Hunter got for pleading guilty to felonies, which, you know, if it was you or me, would be far more than a slap on the wrist. And then I'm going to bring you up to speed a little bit. I'm going to give you the alternate story. You know, I've been telling you, I've been giving you economic statistics, kind of an economic rat-a-tat-tat the past two weeks. If you haven't listened to those shows, the history of the debt limit, very important, and the economic rat-a-tat-tats, real stats, real figures, not government BS, the psyops of economics, you know, by the U.S. government right now. I'm going to give you the other side of the coin because it's my job to bring you information and it's your job to listen and to decide what works for you, what's correct, what's not. So there's several economists out there, fairly well known, who think that we're going to get into a bull market and everything's going to be hunky-dory and we're going to have a soft landing, maybe not even a recession at all. And everything will be just fine at least for a while. 
and I have some terrific videos posted on the site. I got a lot of compliments on the ones we posted the last two weeks. Folks far smarter than your hayseed here telling you these real statistics and giving you the uh, not so cheery news as of what they thought was coming. So now you're going to get the other viewpoint by a much smaller number. But nonetheless, a salient group of folks with salient facts that you should have at your disposal. We're going to discuss them briefly. I'm going to let the videos, I'm going to let them talk for themselves. And then, of course, we're going to have more rat-a-tat-tat because the rat-a-tat-tat is endless, ceaseless, and increasing, if that's possible, from the previous few months. And one begins to think that maybe it's on purpose. You know, the more stuff they throw out there, the more distracted you are, and the more you don't look at major things happening, like gun control and the WHO trying to take over world health and the UN Small Arms Treaty and the corruption in Washington, and I can go on and on and on. You know, the old monkey loves shiny object diversion. So rat-a-tat-tat today, uh, while it's going to be pretty extensive, we're going to limit it to like the really important things with only brief mentions of the uh, tail wagging the dog on the transgender and gay nonsense going on. But first, our founder's quote. You had mine last week. If you didn't hear it, please listen to it. We're back to Alexander Hamilton. Quote, as riches increase and accumulate in few hands, the tendency of things will be to depart from the Republican standard, unquote. I think we will all agree, folks, that money is driving this corruption and treason and non-accountability that we see. And the ranch story. Oh, yes, the ranch story today. So, you know, there's a number of neighbors that kind of cooperate various deals, uh, trade some hay, trade some money, trade some machines, etc. when it comes to be haying time. And it's trying to get there this year. It's cold and it's wet and, you know, there's like every impediment you can imagine. We've gone from too little water to too much water. I guess if I had to choose the two, I would certainly take too much water. But it presents its own problems. And the problems are not just peculiar to yourself your ranch, but they affect everybody. So when you look at it, this weather, which we can't control, creates delays. For instance, the folks that will be working with us on swathing hay this year, their ranch operation is kind of down in the flats toward town. It's a warmer climate down there, more sun, a little bit less rain usually. And they have two big pivot fields down there with alfalfa plus their hay base, And they've been waiting to cut because you really can't cut stuff when it's wet because they'll never dry and it'll mold. But on the other hand, you want to cut those alfalfa plants when they're flowering because that's the highest protein content. And obviously, no matter which neighbor is doing what and with whichever other neighbor, you're going to tend after your stuff first. I mean, just kind of natural and makes common sense. So they've been held up cutting their two fields down there before they can get up here. And we've been scratching our heads up here as to whether or not we actually cut off all irrigation water, which eventually we did, to get the fields dried out. Never had to do that before. And then how long we could wait if they remained delayed down on the flats for them to get up here before the grass and alfalfa started to dry out. Now, so far, that's not a problem. It's actually raining today. It's supposed to rain for the next day or so. But it reminds me that unforeseen events... Events totally outside your control not only create dominoes, impediments, and obstacles for you, but it does the same for people that you work with. And the problems that they face create further dominoes for you. And you can apply that little moral of the story 
to just about everything. In this case, the overall economic and geopolitical picture of the United States and how that affects you, your freedoms, your family, and your financial stability. So with that, let's get into the history of pension funds, shall we? Pension funds are rather interesting creatures. First of all, what are they? A pension plan is kind of a type of employer-sponsored retirement plan. It usually pays employees a set income during retirement, and it's based on how long they've worked for the company, what position they had, etc., etc. These plans are becoming less common now because 401ks have been the rage over the last oh, decade, decade and a half. Pension plans are normally defined benefit retirement plans. In other words, it provides income. It's a defined benefit. You get X amount per month for however long. That's unlike 401ks. Pension plans are funded usually by the employer. In 401ks, it's kind of self-funding, sometimes with company matches. So pension plans funded by the employer, 401ks, similar plans funded by the employee, sometimes with matching. Pension plans date all the way back in the United States to 1875. That was the first corporate pension plan. It was established, believe it or not, by the American Express Company. And even before then, there were actually pensions in the United States. The Continental Congress voted pensions for all the veterans of the Revolutionary War. And pension plans really had their heyday up to about, oh, 20 or so years ago, when 401ks became the preferred instrument, at least of most corporations. There are still some companies like Coca-Cola who pay pensions. In short, and listen to me 401k folks, and particularly, and also you folks who have pensions. I mean, this all, it affects all of you. So a pension plan versus a 401k plan. Under a pension plan, the employees are guaranteed a benefit in retirement. That's a defined benefit. 401k does not guarantee employees a retirement benefit. A pension plan is funded by the employer. In a 401k, employees contribute a portion, or sometimes all, of their paycheck to an investment plan. In a pension plan, an employee may be required or may choose to contribute in addition to what the employer contributes. In a 401k, the employee contribution might include an employer match up to a certain percentage. In a pension plan, employees, in almost all cases, have no control over the investment options. That's really important, as you're going to find out. In a 401k, employees may choose among available investment options. A little bit more flexibility. It's interesting to note at the inception of our little historical tale here that the first really big known pensions in the Western world date all the way back to Rome when the veterans of the Roman legions were guaranteed pensions by the Senate and by whoever then was emperor. And part of Rome's demise was when they were unable to fund those promised pensions, which created all sorts of internal strife and upheaval and weakened the empire against outside forces and economically. Flash forward to the 1800s. Banking and railroad companies here in the United States start the pension craze. Manufacturing companies were the last to adopt retirement plans. The Internal Revenue Act of 1921 helped spur the growth of pensions in that time period because the Congress, in its wisdom, decided that companies that contributed to pension plans for their employees could write off those contributions. They were exempt from federal corporate income tax. And then in the 1940s, labor unions became interested in pension plans. They saw there was a lot of money to control, and that gave them a lot of political clout. And they pushed to 
increased the benefits that were offered by various companies. By the end of 1950, more than 10 million Americans, 25% at that time, of the private sector workforce had a pension. Ten years later, 1960 or so, about half of the private sector workforce had one. And then some pension programs began to fail, and the government enacted the Employee Retirement Income Security Act, ERISA, or ERISA, as some folks call it. You've heard of that. Now you know what it is. And that made pension plans more secure by establishing legal participation, supposedly accountability, and supposedly disclosure. When ERISA was passed... Part of it was an outfit called the Pension Benefit Guarantee Corporation. You know, kind of like the FDIC of pension plans. And that was supposedly to ensure employee benefits in case a pension plan fails. And then that morphed into defined contribution plans, the 401ks, where it wasn't a defined benefit, it was a defined contribution by the employee. And the 401ks really began to take off, although they didn't get to the point they are today till later, because that that tax stick, that tax carrot, was extended to employees. If employees were contributed to a 401k, they could defer that tax. It's interesting to note, by the way, that not all states tax income from retirement benefit plans. Some don't tax any form of retirement income. As of now, you can withdraw tax-free from pension funds in Alabama, Alaska, Florida, Hawaii, Illinois, Mississippi, Nevada, New Hampshire, New York, Pennsylvania, South Dakota, Tennessee, Texas, Washington, and Wyoming. But then came the dot-com bust and the Great Recession of 2007 to 2009. And all of a sudden, pension funds, particularly public pension funds for state, federal, local employees, started to go underwater. In other words, the amount of assets they held and the rate of growth of those assets from investments were less than their total funding obligations. So now there's a lot of pension funds that are they're facing serious challenges, I'll be kind, because they remained severely underfunded. In other words, their total assets and their total cash were less than their guarantees to pay pensioners their monthly incomes, basically since 2007, 2008, and 2009. And unfortunately, that that kind of led a lot of pension fund managers to make even riskier and more speculative investments and to make them rather opaque, unlike the transparency laws that had been passed back in 1921. The 100 largest public pension funds, right, public employees, in the United States have been funded at just 78.6% of their total obligations. This is as of 2022. And that's down from 85.5%, still pretty bad at the end of 2021. Now, some of them have probably come back a little bit this year because of the so-called bull market, which we're going to be discussing later. But you know, markets go up and down, which means investments go up and down, which means pension funds' ability to pay the guaranteed benefits go up and down. And as you folks in 401ks know, your investments in your 401ks go up and down. What's happening now is that public pensions are borrowing increasing sums to meet their payout obligations. In other words, if they're short in their ability to pay out in a particular year, they're borrowing the money. In fact, they borrowed $13 billion in pension obligation bonds in 2021, which was more than the past five years before that combined. And now they're investing leveraged money. The California Public Employers Retirement System, CalPERS it's called, $440 $440 billion in assets under management, and they began leveraging some of its debt with risky investments in 2022. Before 2018, by the way, none of the largest funds used any leverage at all. 
And of course, the low interest money for borrowing and the speculative fever that kind of gripped the markets prior to COVID kind of fueled part of this. It fueled that malinvestment, you know, bad investment in non-productive things that we've talked about the last two weeks. So a lot of analysts now think that a lot of pension funds are operating more like hedge funds and treading on very risky footing. Of the roughly $4 trillion in assets which are managed by public pension funds in the United States, two-thirds, two-thirds of those assets are allocated to risky investments like equities, you know, stocks, and alternative vehicles, you know, private equity, real estate, hedge fund equity. There's a guy by the name of Merrill Matthews. He's a scholar at the Policy Innovation Institute. Quote, it's like the gambler who's on a losing streak but keeps betting in the hope of making up some of the losses, unquote. And then, of course, there's the researchers who say, nothing to worry about here. Don't worry about it. Louise Shiner, she's a policy director at the Hutchins Center on Fiscal and Monetary Policy. Quote, for most, but certainly not all plans, there is no imminent crisis in the sense that the plans are likely to exhaust their assets within the next two decades, unquote. Oh, and what happens after that? If you're somebody who's working at a outfit, whether it's state or it's private, and you have a pension, plan rather than a 401k, which by the way has its own risks and can go up and down, and you're 55 years old, what is she saying? It's okay to the time you're 75 and after that look out? Hmm, something to think about. In 2019, which is the last figures I could find, I find it very interesting. I couldn't find any up-to-date figures. It's almost like it's being, you know, censored out or not written about or don't look over here. But 2019, which was the final year before the pandemic, which hammered pension funds and all sorts of other things, states, that is the 50 states, owed a total of $1.25 trillion in unfunded pension benefits. That, in other words, their assets were less than their liabilities by $1.25 trillion. That decreased a little bit by the end of 2021 to $1 trillion, and now it's back up and, you know, fluctuating up and down as the market goes up and down. By the way, that 2019 figure, and it's about the same now, was 6.8% of all the personal income in all the 50 states. That was an increase from 3% in fiscal 2007, right before the Great Recession. And by the way, all these obligations I'm talking about do not, let me underline, do not include the risk to companies, states, other government outfits, and private pensions for health care, you know, retirement health care plans, which is estimated at another 600 to 600 billion to $1 trillion. So you can start seeing we're talking about some real money here, even in today's day and age. And to the extent states or any government outfit, have to take money out of their general coffers to supplement and augment underfunding in their pension plans, that, of course, erodes the state's ability to perform other services, make improvements, improve infrastructure, you name it. It's kind of like the dominoes that we talked about in the ranch story. So nine states' pension debt was greater than 10% of the personal income in that state in fiscal 2019. New Jersey, unfunded pension liability was the largest of any state at 20.2% of personal income. Wisconsin and South Dakota had pension assets that actually exceeded their liabilities in fiscal 2019. Other states that are deep in the red, Illinois, 19.4%. 
Hawaii, 18%. Alaska, 16.3%. New Mexico, 15.7%. And in 42 states, the unfunded portion of pension obligations, in other words, something that just wasn't backed by any assets, grew relative to personal income from 2007 to 2019. In fact, three states recorded double-digit increases. It's unbelievable. New Jersey, 13.7%. Oregon, 12.7%. And Illinois, 11.6%. There were actually eight states, gee, they seem to be mostly red states. Did you notice those others are mostly blue states? Who actually saw their unfunded pension costs as a share of personal income in their state go down since 2007. Oklahoma, minus 4.8%. West Virginia, minus 3.7%. Rhode Island, a blue state, I'll give them credit, minus 2.1%. Maine, minus 1.5%. Wisconsin, at that time a red state, minus 1.2%. And South Dakota, minus 0.6%. Oh, and Tennessee, sorry you folks down there in Tennessee, minus 0.5%. The highest debt levels, you know, the borrowings to make risky speculative investments to try and make up the shortfall on overall investments and investment income to try and cover the unfunded liabilities of pensions. The highest debt levels were Hawaii, Connecticut, and Massachusetts. The lowest debt was Nebraska and Wyoming, North Dakota, and Iowa and Montana look pretty good too. Nebraska, by the way, has limits on debt issuance, so Nebraska is golden. While there's been some improvement for some states, you know, it's improvement from really bad to just kind of bad. South Carolina, North Carolina, Florida, Missouri, Wisconsin, and New Mexico all slightly improved in the terms of their total debt relative to their total pensions and what they were using that debt for. I have some charts posted under Rat-a-tat-tat under the audio bar and in family safety on this. You can see how your state is doing based on the most recent data. Once again, you know, it's pretty tough to find out there. Makes you suspicious. And I'm also going to tell you just a little bit here in a moment on how you can check how your pension plan is doing. And by the way, you 401k folks, you should be checking with your plan administrator just like the pension folks are checking with their pension manager. But just so you know, in 2022, and it's a little bit better, once again, because of this, in my opinion, false sense of bull market security, a bunch of pension funds lost a bunch of money. In fact, the California Public Employees Retirement System we just talked about lost 6.1% of its total assets. And what this does is, right, another domino, one you didn't anticipate, caused by things that you can't control. One of the ways these pension plans are making up the difference is not only debt and risky speculative investments, but they increase the contribution rate that are going into the, we'll call base assets of the fund. Most pensions are based, and it's a little bit different for each, but most pensions are based on making at least 7% on the fund every year. That obviously goes up and down and obviously has been met over the past several years. Some governments, state and local by the way, have increased funding or they've cut costs by raising employee contributions or freezing cost of living increases. And most experts, there's a guy by the name of Rondazzo, he estimates that right now most contributing employees to a pension fund are putting in about 30%, but that's going to climb to 35% in the next five to eight years. In other words, 5% of your income out of your pocket, albeit to a future quote-unquote promise. So let's talk about what you can do about this. Under federal pension law, pension funds are kind of categorized. 
right? If they're determined to be in critical status, which is a plan that's either in critical status or declining status, or it's an endangered status. And by the way, there's some pensions out there that are just that way. The plan is supposed to provide notice of this status to participants, to beneficiaries, to any parties that are bargaining for pension benefits and pension investments, and to the Pension Benefit Guarantee Corporation. Let's step back for a moment. I brought you a story, oh, I don't know, it was four or five months ago. It was in the rat-a-tat-tat section about Biden bailing out some union pensions to the tune, if I remember correctly, of about $60 billion. That's your tax money, folks. Whether or not you have a pension, whether or not you are a pension recipient in those plans. So this critical status notice has to do with funding or liquidity problems. It's defined under federal law, and it actually allows for adjustable benefits to be reduced. And no lump sum distributions in excess of $5,000 per month can be made to anybody who's receiving money from the pension. And by the way, a plan sponsor, in other words, the, the manager of a plan, under these circumstances can file an application with the Secretary of the Treasury. There's our friend Janet Yellen. Oh, she'll make the right decision. That would request a temporary or permanent, permanent reduction of benefits to make sure the plan doesn't run out of money. There goes your guaranteed benefits. And the American Rescue Plan Act of 2021, you know, one of those trillion-dollar boondoggles Congress passed under the mentorship of President Cadaver, that allows, like, multi-employer plans that are critical or endangered status to make a special, quote-unquote, freeze election and to use their funding status from the preceding year for certain purposes. Supposedly, you get a notice if you're a participant in the plan. So here's what you can do to see how your pension fund is doing. Number one, take a look at the charts, graphs, etc., which I've posted on ontherightsideradio.com. Secondly, you can contact the Department of Labor's Employee Benefits Security Administration electronically. The website will be on the ontherightsideradio.com for you. Or you can call them toll-free, 866 444 3272. You can also correspond with them to the U.S. Department of Labor. That address will be on the website for you, too. And now for the rest of the story, which has cost you $600 billion in fees. So I'm assuming that most of you, you're not big fans of ESG, right? You know, all the corporate trans, gay, blah, blah, blah nonsense we've talked about over the past several months. And I assume you're not a real big fan of DEI, you know, diversity, equality, and and inclusion. I would bet that you're not a big fan of your pension or your 401k plan investing in companies who are woke, who are being ramrodded by BlackRock, Vanguard, State Street, who are using pension funds, right, and 401k plans to buy huge blocks of stock in companies and then control their ESG, DEI, you name it. And I bet you're really not in favor of those companies following those edicts of these guys who bought a bunch of stock using your money without your knowledge and without your say-so and without your vote to implement this ESG, DEI nonsense and to lose billions of dollars. You know, Nike, Target, Budweiser. I can go right down the list for you. Because what does that do? That undermines your investments or the investments that your pension plan or 401k plan has made, which reduces your benefits if you're a 401k holder and makes your pension insolvent. In other words, underfunded. They can't honor their guarantees to you unless they borrow money, which further puts them in the hole. 
You see how all these dominoes work? Ah, yes, it's always full circle back to the rant story. The simplest of concepts can be applied to the most complex of problems. Over the last two weeks, I said at the beginning, I've brought you a lot of great economic thinkers and what they think is coming down the pike, and I've brought you the real economic statistics out there, not the government psyops, the real job numbers, the real inflation rate, you name it. Listen to those shows on the rightsideradio.com. It is most instructive. But I want to give you the full story. So I have a couple of videos that the producers have posted on the website. You should watch them. You really should. Whatever your thoughts on the economy, you should watch them. In fact, one is from Yardini, who is a very well-known economist. And they paint a much rosier, much more optimistic picture than lots of other people. Now, in their defense, there is a thing in the investment world called contrarian theory. In other words, if like 90% of everybody thinks this, the opposite is going to happen. These guys are on the opposite. Secondly, like Yardini brings up that there's 74 million, give or take, baby boomers, and they have $73 trillion in wealth. Obviously, not uniformly distributed, but that's a lot of money. It's also a big target for the government that's broke, isn't it? But that's yet another tale. And Yardini argues that that money is going to be working out there. It's going to be employed, and it's going to cushion us from any nastiness and any nasty recession. Although what he sees way down the road after all this goodness comes is yet another thing. Listen to the video. Listen to his own words. The guy's a lot smarter than I am. And there's another economist whose video I posted who also has a rosier view, at least in the short term. And he has various reasons for that, too. I note that none of them account for any of the possible blow-ups on the planet. You know, the Mideast, Africa, China, Russia, Ukraine, I could go down the list. But on strictly economic terms, they have a whole different set of stats and figures, or they're reading the stats and figures differently than I have reported to you and all these other economists whose videos are still on the website. Look at them. Make a determination. You have decisions to make for you and your family and your freedom. And even Stansberry, who I greatly respect as a forecaster and set of economists, you know, they're looking at data, and I see something entirely different. For instance, in a recent article, which I believe will be posted on the website, they say it's a very bullish sign for the economy that people really aren't drowning in credit card debt, and that the credit card default rate is at the same low level <laughs> as a number of years ago. What they don't tell you, and they have a chart there, it's rising rather rapidly. It was like under 1%, and now it's climbing toward 3% just in the last plus or minus 6 to 12 months. Additionally, the Stansbury outfit kind of thumps their chest over the personal savings rate. Once again, I, I view the data differently than they do, but they have a chart that they say comes from the U.S. Bureau of Economic Analysis. <laughs> so it's a government chart, whatever that may mean. And it shows, quote, personal savings as a percentage of disposable personal income is rising. Well, the other thing is it's rising to minus 5%. It reached a peak, that is, personal savings, of 35% during the pandemic years because 
people couldn't spend any money. And they argue that the personal savings rate is in line with, quote, the historical average, unquote, and that people are saving the same percentage of their income now that they were saving in 2006. Once again, I'm bringing you the economic thought from many others smarter than I. You make the decision as to how you want to handle your finances and how you think this economy is going and will go in the future. And now let's do some rat-a-tat-tat. Let's start off with, I'm going to have another kind of expanded informational segment for you next week on China's amazing Silk Road project. If you didn't listen to it, listen to it two weeks ago, The History of the Silk Road on the rightsideradio.com. But one of the things these economists that we were just talking about talk about is that China is reawakening. It's coming out of its COVID. It's going to be a driver of the economic engine. But when you look at the real stats, once again, not the optimistic stats or look at stats optimistically, you know, the energy sector was down over the last few days about 2%. You know why? Because demand from China is not picking up. In fact, the Chinese central bank, right, kind of the Federal Reserve of China, cut its main interest rate for the first time in 10 months. Now, it only cut it 10 basis points. That's not a lot. That's just one-tenth of 1%. But what it shows is that the Chinese economy is not roaring ahead as everybody anticipated, and it needs some fiscal juice, you know, kind of the same thing our Fed does, to get it going, more liquidity, lower interest rates, etc. That's kind of a telltale sign that China is not the economic powerhouse that's going to drag us out of whatever trough we may temporarily be in, according to these folks. And some big news on the Silk Road Initiative. Once again, this is just a tidbit, but there's a lot of tidbits happening, folks. Chinese communist government has signed a huge deal with Qatar, the Middle Eastern country, one of the OPEC states. And China's going to buy 4 million tons of liquefied national gas per year from the state-owned Qatar Energy and take a partial stake in the expansion plans of Qatar in a big, huge LNG export gas project. Qatar is one of the largest liquefied national gas exporters in the world. Guess who's right in there with them? America and Australia. And competition for the fuel has escalated since uh, basically Russia is out of the picture right now as far as the Western world is concerned. And I can absolutely guarantee you the $30 billion to build that plant and the hundreds of billions that's going to be spent by China in buying that fuel, it's not going to be in the United States dollars, folks. I have a little COVID tidbit for you. Actually, I got many, but we're not going to have time today. But the FDA, right? Our wonderful FDA who cares so deeply about you and your health and your safety and your welfare. And have you gotten your eighth booster, which they just approved yet? Well, hurry, hurry, hurry. We're almost out of juice. Well, it seems, and I have a video on the website about this too, under family safety, on the COVID page, and under rat-a-tat-tat. But it seems, as you know, that the FDA has been beating down ivermectin as a drug and as a counter-COVID drug. I can personally tell you that they're wrong. And I have about nine close associates that can tell you that they're wrong. But listen, I'm just a hayseed in Wyoming. I'm not an MD. However, what's really interesting is that the FDA's website, I mean, you can't make this stuff up, right? Quote, why you should not use ivermectin to treat or prevent COVID-19, unquote. And they have a whole bunch of links to these studies. And guess what? When you go to those studies, 
They all say ivermectin works. I mean, the government can't even keep its own psyops straight. That's on the website for you, and the links are in there. And by all means, avail yourself of (laughs) this government kick themselves in the butt psyops campaign. By the way, in fact, 80 studies and 69% of them said it was effective or very effective. Okay. I brought you a story on immigration, oh, I think it was three or four weeks ago, that the quantity of Chinese folks, particularly young military-aged males, hmm, has like quintupled over the last several months to 10,000 coming across the southern border. In fact, there's like a whole little staging area for them down in Central America. Well, let's couple that fact with the fact that they got caught and the Biden administration has now admitted that China has established a spy base in Cuba, 90 miles off our shore. But it gets better. There's more, folks. There's more. Hold on to your hat. China is now going to move troops to Cuba and train them there. So, 90 miles off our coast. I think one of these days I'm going to do the history of the Monroe Doctrine for you. That's really fascinating, and it's being breached everywhere under Biden's money-accepting, bribed, treasonous, look-the-other-way deal. I mean, there really has to be some accountability, although by the looks of Hunter Biden's slap on the wrist for tax fraud, gun crimes, and other nastiness, that's probably not going to happen. Can anybody say equal applications of the law and accountability? But I digress. So the Chinese are now going to have troops in Cuba. What could go wrong? There's 10,000 and increasing Chinese military-aged males coming into the United States from the southern border. And you know, I'm not a military strategist, but it would seem to me that if you can create sleeper cells in fifth columns with support troops 90 miles away, I mean, you know, that's like, what is it, half an hour, 20-minute helicopter trip? You could really wreak havoc in a wartime situation. You could actually wreak havoc, and given the government that we have in place, they'd blame white supremacists rather than Chinese saboteurs and military, as pathetic as that thought is. And right in keeping with that, the the Pentagon has suddenly found a $6.3 billion error in their accounting for stuff they've sent to Ukraine. And you know, it's just really handy because it gets around the debt ceiling deal that uh, the Democrats were so eager to sign when McCarthy and most of the Republicans caved. Yeah, it's like a windfall for Ukraine. The Pentagon says, gee, they thought it was only $3 billion that they accounted for, but it was really $6 billion. So they got $3 billion more they can send to Ukraine without getting congressional approval. How convenient is that? Of your tax money. You remember our story on the pensions and how, how the unions who support the Democrats are going to get their pensions bailed out? I mean, I'm sure you got that inference, right? Wasting money is a slap in the face. Corrupt wasting of money is a punch in the face. And treasonous corrupt waste of money, particularly when we know dollars are flowing into the pockets of certain politicians, is absolutely treason. And a big middle finger to every American and to America. And then we have Garth Brooks. I know I kind of like his music. Many of you might. But Garth Brooks, he's really into this DEI, Biden, Obama, progressive ideology. Did you know that? In fact, he's standing firm on serving Bud Light in his Nashville bar. And he says that, 
quote, those who don't agree are assholes and they can go somewhere else, unquote. Well, folks, how about listening to artists other than Garth Brooks and how about not going to his Nashville bar, you folks down there in Tennessee? I mean, listen, the guy gets to think however he wants, and we get the shop or to listen to any music we want. And just when you think you're making some progress, you get an unbelievable story. So there's this elementary school in Charlottesville, Virginia, and they had their fourth graders lead a Pride Month celebration of gay and gender ideology during a school-wide monthly meeting. I mean, you can't make this stuff up. And when all hell, as you can imagine, broke out over this, Beth Chook. She's a supervisor of community relations at Charlottesville schools. She told the Daily Signal that children were reading a book about LGBTQ acceptance, and she claimed that the event was, quote, student-led and part of the school's monthly school-wide morning meeting celebrating the end of the school year, unquote. Let me get, I, I gotta go further here. Quote, each month, Grade-level teachers coordinate the morning program, sometimes working with their students. For the June meeting, fourth-grade students took the lead to coordinate the program, unquote. Folks, the kids in fourth grade are nine years old. And then when she was really tacked to the wall, she admitted, quote, Parents had no idea this event would be taking place. We have not communicated with families every time we've had a cultural observation as part of these morning meetings. However, we will do so moving forward, unquote. How about, folks, down there in Charlottesville, how about you just move her forward to somewhere in California or New York, out of your school system, along with whoever supported her as teachers or school administrators? If you remember a couple of weeks ago, I told you about the Global Commons Alliance, a climate activist network that's seeking to limit economic development and set up international watchdog to monitor climate pledges of governments and corporations. And I told you part of the story, but more has come out now. And if you don't think that this is a, shall we say, misallocation, malinvestment, and redistribution of funds, you know, kind of like all the taxpayers paying for the pension funds we've been discussing, or Silicon Valley Bank, or I can go down the list, and of course the reparations. Anyway, I digress. Let me tell you the rest of the story on these guys. By the way, this group was formed in 2015. It consists of the World Wildlife Fund, the Carbon Disclosure Project, the UN Global Compact, which came together kind of after the Paris Climate Accords. And they've even come up with kind of a report card, a test, you know, like the ESG tests for companies. And that test is designed to monitor their targets, literally, their targets. And it's called the Science-Based Targets for Nature. You know, kind of like the... The COVID science, folks, safe and effective. And their goal with this test is to preserve nature in line with scientifically defined limits and on a socially equitable basis, unquote. What does that have to do with science? And by the way, that's right on their website. And if you read The New American, which, by the way, is a great web newsletter, they went further in a journal article which was called Achieving Justice. And they were talking about achieving justice and, quote, unquote, nature positive, unquote, society which would require, quote, reducing over-accumulation of capital, unquote. Let me boil that down for you. You have too much money, we're going to take it from you, we're going to give it to them, or whatever. And reducing associated excess production and consumption. In other words, you can't build that stuff anymore, and you're not allowed to buy this stuff anymore. And on the Ukraine front, 
Did you know, never mind the $6 billion accounting error, that Zelensky and Putin had a peace deal worked out in April of 21? Russia goes back to its borders. Zelensky agrees to be neutral. You know who torpedoed it? Oh, yes, Biden and the UK. Isn't that terrific? But what could go wrong? Putin's foreign minister just a day ago said they're ready for war with NATO. Bring it on, NATO. And in the meantime, Putin is unveiling his Satan missiles. You know, multiple warhead can't be stopped. It's terrific. Good job, Joe. We're out of time. Look in the mirror. Repeat with conviction. I will muster. I will stand. I will not comply. I will never give in. I will never stop fighting. I will join with those in these United States and across the globe who love freedom as I do, and we will win. This is Reed Lance Rosenthal on the Right Side Radio. Keep the wind at your back. Talk to you next week. Please remember, if you've missed any shows, just click on Show Archive and you'll find all of his shows. We look forward to seeing you here again next week for another episode of Reed Lance Rosenthal on the right side.